Hi, welcome to James Miller Lifeology, where you learn to simplify and transform your spirit, mind, and body. My name is James Miller. I'm a licensed psychotherapist and a composer. Thank you so much for joining with us today. Let's get started. I have a great show for you today. I'm going to help you break through those dysfunctional generational family patterns. I'll also be interviewing author Joan Z. Ruff, who shares her story of caretaking to her abusive mother on her deathbed and the emotional healing that ensued. I have some exciting news. Did you know that I'm on the radio three times a week? You may hear me on the same station on Tuesdays at 1.30 p.m., Fridays at 9.30 a.m., and Saturdays at 12.30 p.m. You may also hear me on iHeartRadio, as well as on all the other major podcasting platforms, such as iTunes, Google Play, Stitcher, and many others. Simply search for the show name, James Miller Lifeology. Breaking Generational Patterns When we grow up, we often will emulate our parents. The things that they do, we will often do. And as we get older, we start to have our own self-identity and kind of understand the world around us. There'll be many times when we say, I never want to be like my parents, or I never want to treat my children the way my parents treated me. Or conversely, we may say, my parents did a great job raising me. I hope one day to be like them. One thing with my clients I always try and do is to really have them look at multiple generations. I remember in graduate school for our family systems class, we had to do our own genogram, or in other words, uh, kind of like a family tree. We had to do that, but then we also had to say the different types of maybe physical disabilities or mental health disabilities or all those different types of things we had to link together. And it was interesting to see on a personal level how my family system looked, but it was such a really helpful tool when I work with my clients. Because often when we look at our own family structure overall, we will see that sometimes our parents treated us a certain way because that's all they knew. And by no means does that excuse some of the But I do think it's important for us to go back as far as we can when we look in our family past to kind of see what was modeled. Because remember, as a child, you will always do what you're taught by your parents. And then as you get older, then that's when you can understand what really makes sense for you or not. One thing I like people to do is just to simply sit and reflect and say, well, what was it about my parents that I really liked? What were some of the attributes that really stuck out to me? And what were some of the attributes or behaviors that I didn't like? And when you can really come up with what those are, and if you have children, it's really good to say, well, I wonder what my kids would say about me. But if you don't have kids, it's good for you to ask your spouse or the person you're dating to say, what are some attributes that you really appreciate about me or that you see it's in me? And what are some attributes that I may need to work on? And that's a really good comparison between your own subjective viewpoint of how your parents were versus the objective viewpoint of the person you're dating or the person to whom you're married. Because when you can look at those two types of things, you can start to see if you are actually emulating your parents in some way. And of course, I don't mean emulating them in the sense of they don't like a certain type of music and therefore you don't like that type of music. I'm saying more in the sense of the personality traits or the interpersonal relationships that you have with others. Often you'll find people who come from an abusive home, that that's really what they were taught, that the parents were taught that as kids themselves. And so an abusive person is going to abuse their children. And then when that child has their own children, they're going to abuse them as well. And the whole point of this episode is to say that can stop with you today. When you have the insights and the awareness and wisdom of how you're acting right this second, you can determine, is this what's healthy for you and for your current family moving forward? The difficulty is sometimes we just go through life itself and we kind of go on autopilot and don't realize that the family system that we currently live in is starting to repeat the behaviors that perhaps the family that you grew up in also demonstrated. 
When you look at the interactions between your parents, do you have those same types of fights or misunderstandings or arguments in your own relationship? And if you do, it's important to interrupt that cycle today. It all starts with your awareness of the repeated behaviors, the repeated cycles, so you don't do it today. And the people listening to the show, I know you're all striving to be the healthiest you can be. And so with this newfound awareness, it now helps you realize, well, am I like my parents? And sometimes that's really good. And other times, I don't want to be like my parents. So with this newfound awareness, when you're in a relationship, it's so important to have effective communication. Effective communication with your spouse, effective communication with your child allows for you to really have an open dialogue so that there's respect in the family, that everyone's needs are met in a very holistic way as opposed to wounded people wounding other people. The cycles of your family's past can't stop today. Did you know that I have a YouTube channel? That's actually how Lifeology started. I have well over 150 episodes that I've created specifically for you. I do know many people struggle with listening to a full 30-minute show, so these YouTube episodes are about three minutes long. Each episode teaches you one simple lesson that you can practice daily, which will help you simplify and transform your spirit, mind, and body. Simply go to my website, jamesmillerlifeology.com, and subscribe to my YouTube channel there, or go to youtube.com and search for my name, James Miller Lifeology. Joan Zeruff is a visual artist, poet, and writer of nonfiction. She is going to share her story of being a caregiver to her alcoholic mother during the final years of her mother's life. Joan had hoped caring for her mother would provide an opportunity to heal the relationship, but being able to forgive and heal took much longer than saying goodbye. Welcome to my show, Joan. Thank you very much, James. It's a pleasure to have you here. It's a pleasure to be here. You and I had spoken a little bit before this interview about, you know, your, your, your story is very relevant to many individuals who have elderly parents and just that whole journey of, of caregiving to them as they get older. It, it's, it's, there's so many emotions that go along with it. So I really think that your story today is going to be very relevant for a lot of my listeners. Well, I think, I think it is a very relevant story. Um, these days, we all have somebody who is aging, and with the baby boomers coming up and going through their own aging and taking care of their aging parents, um, there are lots of problems mm-hmm. connected to that. Yes, and of course, there are so many. There's so many things that people just don't know. Obviously, in my career, I'm going to know what I know, and someone who's in a different career, they're going to know what they know. But you know, we're never really trained to be able to help an elderly parent because the majority of us never went to school for that. And so, to kind of navigate through the system of what's available and what's not available is often very overwhelming. And unfortunately, many people don't realize that there are so many more programs in their in their county or even in their community that can help individuals as they're caretaking to their parents. That's true. And I have just found um, that at the time when I was going through uh, taking care of my mother, there were not that many great programs for Mm -hmm. caregivers. There was no one place where one could go and call and say, this is what's happening. Can you help me deal with this or tell me where to go for help? Yeah. for taking care of a parent who needs needs care that I can't give. Um, I just discovered recently uh, that we have a new program here in Charlottesville called Care is There. And it's an um, organization that you sign up for 
give your your name and and they come and visit you to to make sure that that they can help you. And for instance, my husband had um, two surgeries this year. He had a knee replacement and a shoulder replacement. Oh. And we got them involved when he had a shoulder replacement, and they did things for me that I had wished I had known about earlier. They they took him, they picked him up from the hospital when he was released. They brought him home. They took him to his first um, PT appointments. Oh, wow. Yeah. And for me, what they did, they were, I was at the same time publishing a book. So, and was very busy. So for me, what they did was they found a, a personal chef who came in once a week and prepared three dinners for us. So oh my I goodness. Have, yeah. Wow. And that's, and typically what I've known when I work with, with like, for example, the department of aging or different types of uh, community-based agencies, that's the, the elderly parent is the client, if you will. But it sounds like this, this program here that you were the ones that they really offered so many things to help support you as the caregivers, as opposed to specifically for the client it's or the patient. Absolutely. That's they, wonderful. They, they, they take care of both of us. That is absolutely wonderful. Yeah. Now, your story may be a little bit different than maybe other people, because from what I've understood, and please correct me if I'm wrong, there was perhaps a lot of abuse when you were younger. And so having to caretake to your mother, who may have been part of that abuse in, the li- in your life, uh, I mean, that, that probably had so many com- conflicting emotions. It did. Um, I... At the time, when I invited my mother to come and live with us, it was my choice mm-hmm. that I made. Um, I was not thinking about past abuse. As a matter of fact, I was probably hiding it from myself. And it was only after she came to live with us and she and her health started failing more and more, and the more afraid she got... Um, she became, she wasn't drinking at the time when she was living with us, fortunately, but she, she was lastly diagnosed with lung cancer, but she continued to smoke until the day before she died. And, um, and I, I really wanted to help her on this journey I'm a very spiritual person. In the past, she was a very spiritual person. I thought that we could connect on that level. But the sicker she became, I think the more frightened she was, Mm. suffering more. And so it didn't work, unfortunately. She just got mean. So through that fear, turned into into maybe anger or just like you said, being mean. So she, she lost her way in that sense, it sounds like. Right. Exactly. Well, that must be just so, you know, thinking about that, knowing that you both had that spiritual connection. And then as time went on to see those paths became divergent or that you, in other words, you, you didn't necessarily have that common ground anymore. That's right. That's right. Oh, gosh. Yeah, that's very hard. It was very hard. It was extremely hard. But fortunately, my husband um, was also here living with me as he is now. Mm-hmm. And um, he was a huge help through that time. And he, he could handle my mother when I couldn't. Yeah. Now, when she became really mean, how, how, did, you, how did you deal with that? I mean, because of course, you know, here you are 
you've, you've invited her back in your home and she's, she's being mean for whether it's purposefully or whether that's just as she's gotten older, not realizing how she's interacting with other people. But how right. did you deal with that? Because I really think that's a relevant um, struggle that many children who caretake to their, to their parents really struggle with because sometimes people just be mean. Sometimes when they get really old, for whatever reason, they just become, right. they're not their jovial person that they may have been when they were younger. Exactly. I handled it. Um, I didn't handle it well. Let's put it that way. Mm-hmm. Um, she would also often drive me to tears. Um, and I would often have to leave the room. And there were occasions when I would just, I, I, I would just react and push back. Mm. And it became... In my book, I've said it became kind of a living hell in many ways. There were days when she was perfectly fine and perfectly sweet and would be thankful and grateful for everything. And then there were those surprise moments that just happened Um, when she just, I was the only one here who was a member of her family. And so I was the one who was the target. Mm. We, at one point, um, her last Christmas, a week before uh, Christmas Day, she fell and broke her left shoulder. And five days later, fell and and had a spiral fracture of her um, femur on the left side. Oh, my gosh. So we had to find, she was in the hospital for surgery, and I could no longer take care of her. I mean, I just couldn't. And emotionally, I was such a mess that it would have really been a terrible thing. Um, So we put her in um, a uh, rehab situation, and she learned how to walk again with a walker. And but in the in the beginning, it, when she was there, it was a very tough situation because she told the people in the nursing home that I had abused her. Yeah. And it's unfortunate because that happens many times when I've worked with elderly people. They often construe someone caretaking them or helping them in a way it was with they're being either held hostage or they are being abused. And, and of course, that always has to be taken seriously, of course. But it is difficult for you knowing that you did not do that at all. And so it's just it, it's like I'm doing all these things for you. And these are my words, but you're, you're doing all these things for her. You invite her in your home. You're, you want to help her. And then to be accused of something that's it's totally not true. I mean, that that once again, it just I'm sure that really gets to the to the, the heart of you of really testing your character and, and having people just look at you in a way that is not even close to who you are. Right. Exactly. And it didn't even dawn on me. I mean, I should have picked up at the time when mom was in the hospital having that surgery. The first night after her surgery, she called us and begged us to come pick her up because there were people who were abusing her Mm. in the hospital. And she didn't know where she was. She just said she was being held captive. Oh, gosh. Yeah. And But I never carried that over to the later experience when she accused me of abusing her. Yeah. And so 
you learn a lot. It's a very steep learning curve. It certainly is. You know, if I may reflect back a bit here, you, you know, it, I, and of course, I don't know much about your, your history when you were younger, but when you started to really kind of, at times you were moved to tears, you had to leave the room or you were just very frustrated and angry and, and hurt by her. Is that when you started to kind of feel as if you were maybe replaying some of the things you experienced when you were younger? And it was an elderly version of an, that replay? It, it, exactly. I started remembering. Mm-hmm. I started. I remembered physical abuse by my father, but I had forgotten the emotional abuse that my mother used on me. And um, as we, as in our relationship, as she lived in my house, all of those. My memory started bubbling up out of nowhere. Mm. And I realized that I had just been hiding them to keep myself from <laughs> being a crazed person. I sure. Yeah. Yeah. And that's the thing. I mean, we all, we often create these coping mechanisms and some are very healthy and some may not always be the healthiest, but sometimes we forget that as we evolve, what coping mechanisms we use when we were younger don't necessarily work when we get older. And so that's often where we find that disconnect as far as, you know, we're doing something which which is we forget that that no longer works. And so we're learning how to do something different. And so your journey through healing, your journey of finding your way and finding your path came later, but it probably didn't really spark and really come up, just like you said earlier, until you started to have those replays. And you're thinking, oh my gosh, there's a part of me that for whatever reason, I just haven't maybe dealt with or even looked at or maybe even forgot about because it was very, it was too painful. Exactly, exactly. Mm-hmm. And towards the end of her death, towards the end of her life, excuse me, um, I realized that I really needed some help with this. So I started seeing a therapist. Good. And that is when I was told that it sounds like, like you were quite abused as a child, Joan, and that um, you may be suffering from PTSD. And it took me a long time to accept that. Sure. Because I think often when we think of PTSD or post-traumatic stress disorder, for those of my listeners who may not know what those, those, right. that abbreviation is, it's because often you hear that, and at least the majority of people, when they hear what PTSD is, it's more of, you know, you think of people, maybe soldiers who have been um, in the war or someone who's experienced really, really traumatic events. And so to kind of hear that that may be something that you, you yourself may be, have that same diagnosis or that same type of um, reaction, it's very hard to reconcile with that to think, or was it as bad as what they said? Or, or do I really have this? Or I thought I dealt with this. Or I didn't think it really bothered me that much. And so to have that kind of be put in your face like that, to say you're showing some of the symptoms that's, that's congruent with PTSD, I'm sure that was very hard to kind of wrap your head around. It was very, very difficult because like you said, PTSD is associated with people maybe who go through a tornado or a tsunami or mm-hmm. who fight in a war or who were in New York on 9-11. Um, and 
I one of the reasons that I brought it up in the book, I could have left it out completely, but I think it's an important part of the story in that people need to know that whether you've been in those situ- situations or not, you can still have the symptoms of PTSD and be suffering. You certainly can. Yeah. And that's the thing. I mean, trauma from one person may view something as trauma and someone else may not view it as trauma. The the point is, is that all of our life is completely different. Our experiences may be different as well, but how we react to a situation is, of course, can be different than someone else, but it's still just as powerful to us as someone else that may have gone through something that, you know, that is, you know, a war or that is through a tornado or it is through a tsunami. And so it just has nothing to do with Anybody else it just happens to be with how we internalize it, how we deal with it, how often we deal with it, how, um, how, how it just made sense for us or didn't make sense for us at that time. And then it comes out in many different ways, but it is unfortunately there until someone deals with them. Exactly. And the thing is, PTSD can be, people can overcome PTSD, of course, with therapy, with, with, with medication. There's many different ways in which it can be overcome. Um, but the point is, is there always is hope for that. There is a way to overcome it. And I think when someone starts the process and starts the journey to slowly work on this, there is an answer. And that's the exciting thing about life is there's always an answer. You just simply have to look until you find it. Exactly. And that's, kind of what I did. I just decided that I couldn't, I needed to understand what had happened to me. And in order to do that, I needed to understand where my parents were coming from. Mm. And um, looking back and realizing and, and having known that my father came back from World War II with what was at the time called shell shock. Uh Um, that he had PTSD. And as many people know that even today, men or and women who come back from the wars with PTSD and they don't get treatment, that disease can spread through the entire family. It certainly can. Because yeah. it, it, they don't know how to handle it. Mm-hmm. Well, you think about anything in general, you have, let's say, a family system, or in other words, just, you know, a close group, a close knit family. So let's say five of you, you know, there's five of you. And if one person automatically changes or has changed, well, there's no way that everyone else is going to say the same. Everything has to reorganize and remove itself around until it kind of fits into that the new version of what that is. So, you know, even as, as people get older, as people, you know, have different, have different ailments, all of those, these new variables, when they come into that system, everything just kind of shuffles around until something new is created. And just like you said, if people don't, aren't really aware that, that they need help with this or aren't aware that maybe how they're acting is not how they used to act, then yes, it will definitely affect that family. And then what happens is then that new dynamic or that new interaction then becomes a learned behavior for the children. You know, the children then learn when, uh, you know, for example, your dad, and of course, I don't know all the, the history of that, but if your dad treats you a certain way, then you automatically be, learn, you know, either internalize it that that's your worth, maybe not yours, but just anybody else who goes through that. My worth is 
this because I did something wrong. My dad treats me this way. I deserve to be beat or I deserve to be called a certain name. And then when they then have children, well, then that's what they learn. That was what was modeled to them. And then they pass it down. It becomes a family legacy. It becomes something that is, becomes the culture of the family when it was never meant to be that. It was just simply became a learning behavior based off of external circumstances, which cause everybody to act a different way. Yes, that's so true. And I also discovered that my mother had been been abused by her mother. Mm. Oh gosh, I'm so sorry. And so it's it's kind it was kind of inevitable mm-hmm. that my brothers and I would become abused kids. Yeah. And um I feel that through writing the book that I have stopped I don't know how far that abuse goes back. It could go back for generations. And I feel as though I've kind of stopped it in its tracks right now. And I really like that because I think that's so important that people realize that regardless of the generational, the generational um, legacies or things that have been passed down, it can stop with your generation. It can stop with you. And when people are aware of that, they no longer pass those traits on. You know, I've worked with many people who, this one, this one man I can think of, he uh, was so upset with his father because his father cheated on his mother, was running around in her and, and the father left. And so this boy was with a single parent and he was so upset with his dad for years and and then all of a sudden, he actually started running around on his wife. And he did the exact same thing that he was so upset with his father, you know, that his father did. And so my, my point is, is that there's the, those legacies can be broken. It, it, of course, there needs to be help with it. You know, if people have the, the endurance or the resilience or the fortitude or the insight to do it, wonderful. But often we need that assistance. And, and it's real important for each of us to, to really stop and, and to reflect on, are we the person we want to be? Are we maybe repeating some of the things that our parents did or some, some things? that we had in our life that we didn't know are coming out in our own version of who we are today. And so I really think it's so important for us to really have that continual checking with ourselves to make sure that we're not repeating those, 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 un, those dysfunctional family patterns that we had when we were younger. Absolutely. Absolutely. So let's switch gears here for a minute because we don't have much more time left, but tell us about your book, Scattering Ashes, A Memoir of Letting Go. Okay. Well, it's. Um it's a lot of backstory uh-huh. uh, describing some of my childhood. Um, and it, it starts with the death of my mother um, and, and how I couldn't grieve because I felt like I hated her so much mm. and, and how I came to forgive her, her and myself for being so hard on her and myself as well. Yeah. Um, I think we tend as children of somebody like that, we blame a lot of it on ourselves as well. And so it took a lot of work. Um, and I'm still working. I'm, I continue to work on it. I see a therapist now and I may for the rest of my life. I don't know, but there, finding forgiveness, I always thought that I knew what forgiveness was, but I never realized that forgiveness is, is really letting go mm-hmm. and letting love come in the, in the place, into the place of hatred. Yeah. 
and so it's it was my process my the process of um mom died let's see in in 2007 i started writing the book uh 3 years ago and it was all it's all of that plus how the writing itself and my own bout with um cancer a very i was very lucky and got it very quickly um how that all brought back my center and and grounded me mm-hmm. and i i also did things like i went back to where i lived as a child my dad was a home builder and we lived in many many different homes and within one year i could have lived in four different houses oh, and goodness. so i i went back to long island and tried to find them all and just come to grips with what i never thought had affected me but apparently it did yeah yeah, and that's the thing. I mean, there's so many things that happen in our life that it's all interwoven in this beautiful tapestry, which is our life. And we don't realize how everything is so interconnected to such a degree. It's, you know, we learn a lesson and then that lesson is then reinforced by different things in our life. And that lesson could be a positive lesson or it could be an, or a negative lesson. And, and the thing is, and there's so many th- things that happen in our life, which cause us to be who we are today. And so allowing ourselves to stop and to say, do I want to continue on with this? Do I want this to be in my life? And if I don't, what do I need to do to change it? Right. Right. Well, Joan, if my listeners would like to find more information about you and about your book and just all the amazing things that you're doing, where would they be able to find this information? Uh, They can go to my website, which is at www.joanz, as in zebra, rough. So that's J-O-A-N-Z-R-O-U-G-H dot com, all small letters. Um, they can also follow me on Facebook on my author page. That would be Joan Z. Ruff Author. And I'm also on Twitter at Joan Z. Ruff. Wonderful. I wish we had more time to talk about this because I really believe this is such a really relevant uh, topic that many people go through and struggle with. So I want to thank you for taking the time today to be on my show to, to share your story and all the things that um, the lessons that you've learned from this. Well, thank you. I really appreciate your having me and and letting me tell my story. Well, thank you, Joan. Thank you. I also want to thank you, my listener, for joining with me today. Please subscribe to this radio show through whichever portal you joined with me. Also, please go to my website where you may sign up for my newsletter, enroll in the Lifeology Academy, watch my YouTube episodes, and read all the articles I've written just for you. If you'd like to become a guest or advertise on my show, simply visit jamesmillerlifeology.com. You may also follow me on all social media platforms under the name James Miller Lifeology, except for Twitter, which is James M. Lifeology. Have a fantastic day, and I look forward to speaking with you very soon.